What's up, you guys? Welcome back to the Here to Evolve podcast. I am here with a very, very special guest today. And if you have been following our journey with Cora or even with Kai, we talk about sleep a lot. We talk about sleep a lot here on the podcast for you guys, but also how important it is for us for our kids to get good sleep too. So I have my friend Sam here. You probably have seen me tag her a million times recently, um, but she Samantha Day Sleep Consulting is here with us today, and we're going to talk all things sleep, all things baby sleep, answer some very frequently asked questions that you guys have had, and just have a good time. So welcome, Sam. I am so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this chat with you and talking about this super important topic. It's so important. Um, you know, why don't we just start off by, can you just give us a summary of, you know, who you are? what your credentials are. I mean, you're just so different than so many other sleep people out there, I guess I'll say. Um, so just kind of share with us your background a little bit, because I think that's super important. You know, we're all about having the credentials and, you know, working with people who are true professionals in each field. So kind of just break it down for us a little bit. Yeah, that's really important to have that viewpoint. So I'm glad that you do. So a little bit about me. I live in Tennessee. I'm originally from Chicago. So living kind of outside of where I grew up, but loving it here. I have been married for 13 years and I have two kids that are nine and 11. And I started my kind of educational background. I went to school to be a special education teacher. So nothing that I ever thought would connect to sleep in any way. And I was an autism specialist for a while and really focused on behavioral. So behavioral things, um, mostly in the special ed world, but a little bit in other um, niches as well. And so that was what I loved, what I was always going to do. And then I got pregnant for the first time with my son and I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. That was the plan plan for a couple of years. And then I would go back to working in the special ed world. And during that period of time, in like the first six months of him being alive, I realized a couple of things. First thing is I realized you don't really want to know me when I don't get sleep because <laughs> sleep and I are best friends and I just perform at my optimal level when I am rested the same as every other person. Right. And, but of course we know that there's that period of time where sleep's going to be a little rocky, but as a first time mom, I don't really know what to do about it. The next thing I realized is that behaviorally sleep connected to my education. I was like, oh, this goes hand in hand with the, some of the behavioral concepts that I was, you know, guiding in my professional life. And so things were kind of clicking and my, my son was not a good sleeper at all in the beginning. And as he got a little bit older, like four or five months old, I started implementing some new strategies along with doing a lot of research myself and realized that, okay, this, this can work. And so long story short, my son started sleeping really, really well. And at that point, all my friends were having babies. So there's saying, what's going on? How are you getting your baby to sleep? And I would help them along the way. And so it just became something I loved. And at that point, I was not certified in anything other than the behavioral side, which was related, but I didn't have anything in the sleep background. So I'm helping friends, helping friends, and I'm loving it because I'm realizing that my friends who are stressed and questioning and overwhelmed with people telling them, do this, do that, do this, and none of it's working. I finally said, okay, I really love this. And my husband said, why couldn't this be a thing? You are so passionate about it. So at that point I decided to go back to school. So with already having a bachelor's in the behavioral field, 
I found um, a program that I was accepted into where I could get certified in sleep. So I went back to school um, when my son was about a year old and it took me about nine months to complete that certification. But along the way, it just surprised me how much it connected to my, the background that I already had. So yes, I'm certified in sleep. And that of course is a big thing because you have to know the science of how we sleep and why this works. But I would say equally as important and probably what sets me aside a little bit from a lot of the other people that are out there in the sleep world is that behavioral background. Because even as a two-month-old or a four-year-old or a 12-year-old, behavior connects to sleep. Yeah, no, I think just in my own research, you know our story with Kai. So for anybody new listening, very similar. We have we had our son first. Kai was, I don't want to say he was a bad sleeper, but he just, I mean, when you're a first-time parent, they're are so many things you're stressed about anyway. And sleep is one of those things where it almost feels like you have to just, you know, you're, I was Googling all the things. I was looking at all of the different sleep people at the time who were on Instagram and I, nothing really felt good. And then I, you first of all reached out while I was still pregnant. So we kind of had your sleep course in mind and I was like, let me just, we're going to try this. Um, but you know, with Cora now she's, she's a good sleeper and we'll kind of go into if that's just like how some babies are, but there are so many things that I think are relatable in what you just said, as far as like how you felt as a first time mom. Um, and just, I love how you truly followed your passion with this. And it really is something that, I mean, you can just hear it in your voice when you talk about it, you are so passionate about it. That's obviously something Josh and I can relate to also. Um, but you are just, in my opinion, you are just in a whole nother level than all of the other options out there because of that behavioral approach. So going into the approach side of things, let's talk about that because I think, I mean, I'm sure you hear this all the time. People hear sleep training and they freak out and they think it's cry it out and it's a scary thing. But I mean, our experience was not like that at all. So can you kind of walk us through like what your approach quote unquote looks like? Yeah. You hit the nail on the head when you said people get really scared when they hear those words sleep training. And it's probably the reason that I started calling it teaching sleep yes. because you really are teaching and guiding more than you're training. Right. And I think that if we took it a step further, every parent trains their child to know what it looks like when it's time to sleep, whether it's nursing to sleep, rocking to sleep, laying down completely awake and knowing how to fall asleep independently. But in one way or another, we are all teaching or training our child to know what it looks like in our house to fall asleep. And so whether we're doing it independent or not, we're all training, which is the word most people are afraid of. And the reason why is because of that cry it out. A lot mm -hmm. of social media things, as great as social media can be, will point to the only way to teach sleep or sleep train is to cry it out. And that is so far from the truth. So what I find really important is to first find the missing piece, because we all talk about what to do when our child cries, right? The cry it out or any other method, but we forget to talk about how we can set them up for success before we even talk about how we're going to respond when they cry. So I break those kind of into two categories, proactively guiding and then reactively guiding. So there are so many things we can do to proactively set our kids up for success. We need to know how old they are because 
we need to figure out what's their ability when it comes for sleep. We're not expecting a one month old to go to bed on their own, sleep all night long and have all independent 40 minute or an hour and a half long naps, <laughs> right? It's not realistic. So we need to look at their age, which is really important. And a lot of people ask about adjusted age. If we had a baby that was born a little bit early, we do take that in, into consideration until their adjusted age is about four months. And then with sleep, we're usually good to go. We we don't need to adjust from there. Interesting. Um, for most that's, babies. That's because, I mean, we hear about the four-month sleep regression all the time. Um, can you just touch on that really quick before you continue? Because I know that's another yeah. question, but that's yeah. developmental, right? Absolutely. So much is changing internally around that four month mark that on the outside looks really terrible because all of a sudden we have shorter naps or we have early rising or we have, you know, more wake ups or they seek more assistance to fall asleep than they were before. And so all of a sudden we think that we potentially were in a good spot and now it's gotten worse where the word regression comes from, right? Mm -hmm. When really it means that something's happening inside their body that's about to be amazing, but we have to give it time to get there. So around the four month mark, we're seeing that their body's actually starting to produce melatonin, which they weren't prior, they weren't doing prior. And we need that melatonin to help us with that deep restorative sleep. And it's going to help us connect sleep cycles and get longer sessions. So that's one example of what happens. Another example is when our babies are, you know, newborns, they're either asleep or awake. Mm -hmm. But when we get to about the four month mark, we have a more established sleep cycle where our babies start to reach that really light level of sleep or even twilight level of sleep. And they're not used to that quite yet. And they have to figure out how can I connect the cycles where I go from light sleep and then into deep sleep and REM sleep back into light sleep. And then I got to go back to sleep, right? It's that segment between light and then back into the next cycle that a lot of babies can't connect, which makes us wake up more often. So those are just examples of things that happened around the four month mark, but that melatonin and that established sleep cycle are going to really help us to make sleep better if our little ones have some new skills to go along with those new things that are happening in their body. Behaviorally at four months old, our babies can learn so much more when it comes to sleep. And that's the age that we can start working on falling asleep on our own, you know, fully independently. And so a lot's taking place at that four month mark. That's not bad, but it can look bad for a couple of days. <laughs> No, absolutely. And I love that you use the language, you know, skills and teaching sleep. And it's really, I have found it's really an educational process, the way that you put out your courses, the way that you work with people, you're educating us on the why and how the reasons why this is happening. And that's something that Josh and I do on the fitness side with our clients. You know, we're, we're really big on not just saying, okay, here's your meal plan. Here's your training programming. Go, go ahead. Good luck. We'll see you later. People need to understand what's going on and why it's happening if they want that long-term success. Right. So I think there are, there's so many parallels between what we do and what you do. Um, yeah. obviously you're working with little tiny humans and we're working with bigger ones, but you know, we're all humans at the end of the day and we need to really look at the bigger picture rather than just here's the quick fix of an example sleep schedule, because that's yeah. not going to work for every baby. Right. 
Yep, absolutely. And we got to get those tiny humans sleeping so that the big humans can get sleep for yeah. their health too. So it definitely, our, our businesses go hand in hand for sure. And our passions are very yes. connected as well. So I love that. But if I can jump back to the, what we were talking yes. about with the proactive guidance. So that I think is the key that I want everyone to really focus on is, yeah, we're going to have to figure out how we're going to respond when they cry, because we have to teach our little ones, but what are we going to do first? So we look at their age and then then we look at a couple of things like how are we going to set them up for success? So if we're talking a three-year-old who's really struggling to calm down at bedtime and, you know, lay in their bed and fall asleep. And every time we say goodnight, they're running out after us, then we can say like proactively, what can we do to adjust this? One of my favorite things to do for toddlers is to reset the routine because behaviorally, a lot of times the behavior connects to the routine. So we'll see that, you know, for us, the routine is we eat our dinner, we go upstairs and take a bath, put on our pajamas, read a book and lay down. It's as simple as that. But to our three-year-olds, potentially that looks like read a book, run around the room a bunch, you know, yell that I don't want to go to sleep and then fight with my parents for a little while and then lay down in my bed. And so that's kind of, I'm being silly with it, but those are steps that to our toddlers and children can literally be a step of the routine. So one of the best things we do proactively is completely reset the routine so that we're disassociating the old behavior and cueing to them that something Thing is changing. I love so that. the, that's one of the, and, and a lot of parents would say, well, what am I supposed to do? I lay him down and he just runs out of his room over and over and over again. And that's a piece we have to look at. But before we even talk about it, we talk about what are we doing to, to cue change, to set them up for success. And then of course, we're going to talk about how to respond if they're crying. And the same thing is true for any other age, whether we talked about a four month old or a 12 month old, um, or even a 12 year old that I worked with a 12 year old a couple of months ago. I mean, it's, it is never, ever, ever too late to prioritize sleep proven by that number right there. And a lot of people go 12 years old and they hired you to help. Yes, because it's never too late and it is always important, but so we've important. got to. Yes, yes, exactly. But we have to look at what do we do to set them up for success? And there's a lot that's kind of individualized, right? Mm -hmm. We got to figure out what works for your family specifically. And then we look at how are we going to respond, which I call that our sleep teaching method. So once you've said goodnight, how are you going to respond if your child runs to you or calls for you, cries to you, or needs you in one way or another? And there's a lot of different ways. So that's where I like to smash the controversy. A lot of people think the only way is to let your child cry it out. And a lot of times cry it out doesn't even work because mm -hmm. we all have a threshold as parents. So we might say like, okay, tonight's the night. I'm just going to let them cry. And then we hit X amount of minutes and we go, nope, I'm going in there. <laughs> I can't which... tell you how many times I've done that with Kai. I've done it a couple of times with Cora too. And I'm just like, you know, you go into it with a plan, but I feel like you almost need to first clearly outline exactly like if this happens, then I'm going to do this. If this happens, then I'm going to do this, but also, you know, maybe even have like a backup plan. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Like if you go into something and as a parent you're in the middle of it, you're like, ah, like this is not working. What do you do? Cause then it's yeah. like, then it gets into that point where this is where we struggled with Kai. You're not being consistent with them and they need that consistency to thrive. Um, but 
I can also see the side of the parent where it's like you kind of get scrambled because you're like, I wasn't yeah. expecting this to happen, you know? Yeah. Well, the first and most important thing is you have to make sure you're fully ready with mm -hmm. a plan with lots of scenarios before you start. And your and spouse. That's, and your spouse. Yes. If you, mm -hmm. yes, if you're able to have your spouse on board with you, um, that's wonderful. Now I do have a lot of situations. I'll be honest, where parents will reach out one parent and say, I'm mm -hmm. doing this. My, my spouse or my significant other cannot handle a single tier. And I know we both know how important it is. So I'm yeah. going to take the driver's seat in this and that's okay too. Yeah. So you have to figure out just making sure that both are, you're understanding yes. where your roles are when it comes to doing this. Oh, I love that. That's a really, really good point. Yes. Yeah. So making sure you have a plan before you start and kind of going back to that frustration level, there is a lot of situations where a parent will go like, Oh, I've just had enough tonight is the night. And I'm just going to let them cry it out, but mm -hmm. we don't have a plan. We haven't proactively set them up for success. So the chances of us going like, I don't even know what to do now and having to throw in the towel are significantly more. Yeah. So that's why from the start, have a plan, look at all the pieces of the puzzle. And then ultimately the first thing I'm going to tell parents is try to be as consistent as you possibly can. We all have to get a little bit uncomfortable before we reach our goals in a lot of different areas, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it be fitness or, or sleep or whatever, sometimes you have to get a little uncomfortable. And a lot of times parents, even if they're right there, helping their child to fall asleep, there can still be a considerable amount of tears. You know, for a lot of babies, it's like, I had a mom yesterday I worked with and she said, I rock them for an hour, but they cry the entire time. Yeah. So there's still tears involved. You're just, you just happen to be right there. So back right. to the, the question, the big thing would be try to be as consistent as you can. And you may have to push through an uncomfortable position, but have a realistic amount of time where you tell yourself, okay, I'm trying for this long. And then ultimately, if you reach a point in your mommy gut or your parent gut where you're like, okay, it's too much, this, this isn't working, then go in there mm -hmm. and do whatever you have to do to assist your little one in that moment, of course. But I would recommend that you take a break at that point and just give them a higher level of assistance until you come up with another plan. Yeah. Because ultimately, if we have the right plan in place for your family, we're really not going to, it is rare for me to see a family that has to throw in the towel. Mm -hmm. And so it, at that point we would pause, figure out what is, what, what piece are we missing? Cause there's a lot of pieces of, to the puzzle and then you can start again. But if you have a night where you kind of rescue for lack of other words and solve yeah. the problem, and then the next night you try something different, the confusion is just way too much. So that's why we take a break for a couple of nights and then we can reevaluate and restart. I love that so much. And I think I was just talking about this with two of our coaches who are also moms. Um, you know, they were talking about on the fitness side, how it's, we have all of this information with social media, with Google, and there's all, everyone's saying something a little bit different. So I feel like that's a big mistake a lot of, I mean, at least this is a big mistake I made with Kai in the beginning was we would try something for one or two nights. And then I would be like, oh, this isn't working. I'm going to try something else the next two nights. And no wonder why he was not being consistent because I wasn't being consistent. So I mm -hmm. think that is so crucial. And that's probably the biggest, most important thing that you have taught me is to just set your plan, stick with it and be as consistent as you can. And they do catch on. It's, it's kind of amazing how fast they start to see 
like, oh, she's going to come in and just kind of put her hand there. And then, you know, I'm okay. And he eventually caught on. I think it was, a, you know, maybe no more than a week. Um, but Kai was our not so great sleeper. We implemented our plan with him. And then he's been a great sleep sleeper ever since he still sleeps 11, 12 hours a night and he's awesome. So, um, you know, I think that I really just want to touch on the fact that you said it's so individualized to each family. There's not one right way. And that's the biggest misconception out there when it comes to sleep training, or like we say now teaching sleep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that it's important to know that every family is different. Every child's personality is different and every parenting style is different, right? So we do have to figure out a way that balances between our parenting style and our child's personality. And that I think can be hard sometimes because for example, you may have a parent that wants a really, really gentle way of teaching their little one the skill that they're working on, but you may have a nine-month-old with a very persistent personality already who's going to, you know, maybe be standing up in the crib or sitting up in the crib and crying and crying and crying until we come in there. So we do have to find a method that works for both of those things. And that kind of leads me into another important point, which is behaviorally, if there's a lot of trial and error, like you were touching on consistency, if there's a lot of trial and error, it a lot of times creates a behavioral pattern where no matter the age of our little ones, they start to realize that the higher my cry, then I get this response, right? Whether it's a response I'm looking for or not. Mm -hmm. So the higher or the longer or the more intense or for a toddler, the more times I call out mommy, 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 or whatever the case is the the different response can potentially come from mom or dad. And that can be even with the most gentle method. Let's say you decide as a family, you want to be right there with your toddler and not leave the room while you're teaching them to stay in their bed. We can totally do a method like that. But if your little one realizes that, that if I ask for water 16 times, then they'll get it, right? Or if I crawl on their lap a couple times and they put me back in their bed, but then I do it one extra time, then I can stay there. Mm -hmm. It's like this, this threshold, right? If I get over that hump. So we want to make sure that consistency is there so that we avoid the pattern of them pushing, 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 and then getting whatever it is that they're seeking in that moment, which can sometimes just be a difference in mom or dad. Because yeah, so I was just going to say, we experienced something like that. It was towards the end of my pregnancy with Cora. So Kai was probably newly four. Um, and like I mentioned, he's been a great sleeper overall, but lots of changes were happening. He knew that I looked different. We've been talking about little sister coming. So I think that played into it a little bit too. Um, but Josh and I used to alternate like who would put him to bed. So one night I would put him to bed the following night, Josh would put him to bed. And whenever Josh put him to bed, it was like, they had the routine. They stuck with it. He said, good night. I love you. Shut the door. That was it. He was great. Whenever I put him to bed, he would sort of just start to, I don't want to say play games, but kind of play games with me. And he would, you know, say, I love you. And then can you smile before you shut the door? And like, he would try to keep getting me to do one more thing each night and I would do it. And that would just create this super, super long routine that he was just adding to every night because I think he knew that I was just you know, giving into it. And it created so much stress for me because I'm like standing at the door saying, I love you, almost close it, 
I love you. And he has to have me say it back. And we would go back and forth forever. It seemed like I'm frustrated. He's like just pushing it that extra, extra word every night. And it just created this like huge stressor for me. Cause you know, you're at the end of the day, you're, you're tired. I was pregnant. I just wanted to do the bedtime routine and call it a day, but he just yeah. would extend it and he would get upset. I would get upset and then it just wasn't good. But I think that's a great example for what you were just saying, how even, you know, we implemented sleep routines with him from the beginning, but there may be tweaking and there may be things that come up over time that you kind of just have to revert back to the basics. Yeah, absolutely. And what you just said, I love, cause I can build off that and say that every behavior serves a purpose. And so in that situation, let's say this was happening right now and you called me and said, what do I do? What I would say is we need to look at what the underlining purpose of the behavior is. And you nailed it when you said you were pregnant, your body was changing. He knew something was happening. Something's going on. Mm -hmm. And so chances are he's looking for a little bit more closeness in, in that moment. And so we can look at it and say, what's something we can proactively do to try to fill that tank for him, yeah. you know, a little, and you spend lots and lots of one-on-one -on -one time with him, but <laughs> what are some other things that we can do to like fill up that tank and can kind of nix that behavior in a different way instead of getting frustrated in the moment. So yes. just as an example, that can, that same type of um, process can be applied to so many different situations. Yes. And that's why, again, I love that you are so behavioral focused too, because it's, it absolutely plays a role. Like if you're just focusing on the sleep stuff and you're still dealing with all these other things, like you're going to hit some speed bumps, I'm sure. Um, but you kind of brought this up before about having the 12 year old who came to you and you guys help helped them with their sleep is you, you touched on this, but can we kind of elaborate on the fact that there's no upper limit as far as when you can focus on sleep. Cause I think, you know, I have a lot of moms who message me and their babies are six months or a year old, or maybe even two years old and they feel like it's too late. So, you know, let's, let's go into that a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's absolutely never too late to learn a new behavior and guide our little ones to where they're able to get that solid restorative sleep that all of us need. And it is all ways important to do so. So if you're a mom who's like, this is just how it is in our house. And one day they'll be 18 and they won't need me to fall asleep. Right. I hear stuff like that yeah. all the time, but the question would be, what are we missing in the meantime? Now, if we have a family who truly enjoys safely co-sleeping and everybody falls asleep and everybody gets the sleep they need throughout the night, cheers to that. Mm -hmm. If it works for that family, right? Because it's all about getting the sleep. But if we're desperate and the only way we know to do it is to sleep in their bed or they sleep in our bed or we're up all night, then we have to figure out a way to set new goals and get our little ones sleep. Sleep is critical when it comes to so many different things. And when we're talking about babies, their rapid growth, we need them to have so much sleep, right? Why does a newborn baby get 18, 20, 22 hours of sleep sometimes? It's because their body's growing so quickly and they need that. So we're literally talking about attention, immune system, growth. Um, the list goes on and on and on of reasons why we need that sleep. So it's never too late to set the goal, but we need to look at the age that they're at now and then figure out how to go from there. Awesome. That's perfect. And on the flip side of that, I'm thinking like, 
I also got this question a lot too. When can you start implementing these sleep habits or start to implement the routine with our newborn babies? Because I know a lot of moms are like, well, do I wait until they're like four months till we hit the four month sleep regression? Can I start earlier? What does that look like? Yeah. Okay. So I loosely say that you could literally start the day the baby's born, but the reason I lose, (laughs) (laughs) the reason I loosely say that is because I don't want parents to be like in the hospital going, no, you can't do this or you have to do that because it's not like that when they're first born in that infant stage, which I consider the first three months of age infant. And then after that I go baby and then Mm -hmm. toddler, um, because there's a big difference with sleep in those first three months than it is four months and up. Like we've talked about. So I really want to focus on in the beginning, just setting some patterns that they start to see what we're doing, which is healthy for us too, to have routines and not feel, you know, as overwhelmed when we know what's next sometimes. And then we want to make sure a common issue, uh, when our babies are first born is day and night confusion. So we want to make sure that that's not happening, that we're not getting way too much sleep during the day for naps. And then we're up all night long. Right. Mm -hmm. And that might be the natural pattern that your baby is born with. And there are things that we can do, excuse me, to adjust that. So. So we can go from the beginning and we would not be talking at all about reactive strategies in the beginning. It's all going to be the proactive stuff. So how can we guide? How can we teach? How can we, you know, just get into these routines? And then when we get to the four month mark, that's when we can start taking control and teaching our little ones some new skills. And so at the four month mark is when we can start teaching them to fall asleep independently. If they haven't done so already, there are some babies that are already falling asleep on their own by then. We've done nothing. They've just done it on their own. That's best case scenario, but mm-hmm. doesn't always happen. Um, so if we're not seeing it yet, or we're only seeing it at part of the part of the, you know, at nighttime and not naps or something like that, we can start guiding and teaching at the four month mark. Awesome. So from the start for sure, but really teaching at the four month mark. So that was one of the biggest differences that we did with Kai and Cora. So with Cora, I mean, obviously we had all of this information with Kai, but again, first time parent, lots of things happening. Uh, You're stressed about so many different things. Um, I just felt so much more at peace when Cora was here. Obviously we've shared our journey to get her. Um, So when she got here, it was just, you know, we've done this before. We had the confidence that we could raise a tiny human and, you know, it was just a very happy season for us. Um, But we, I felt like approached it just with a lot more, I don't know, it was just less stressful for some reason this time. Um, Because I knew, I think in the back of my mind, like eventually she's going to sleep great, no matter what it looks like right now, we will get her to a point where she's sleeping like high. Um, But you know, do some babies just naturally sleep better than others? What, what is, what does that look like as far as like, are some babies just born good sleepers or I don't know. That's just something I was always curious about. Yeah, this is a good question. So it's kind of like a lottery and you either win or you don't. <laughs> no, no, that's not the case. So it, yes, there are babies that come out who have an easier time staying in a sleep session there. They have longer sleep sessions. A typical nap for them can be two hours long, a couple times a day as a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. And there are other babies that are going to max out at 30 minutes and take, you know, way more for 30 minute naps throughout the day instead of consolidating that sleep. 
There are going to be some babies who need a lot of assistance to fall asleep. They need skin to skin. They need rocking. They need nursing. They need, you know, bottle, whatever the case is. And there are going to be other kiddos that are like, I'm good. Just I'm in this bouncer and I'm fine. So I'm going to fall asleep. Right. (laughs) And so in this, you know, current culture of social media that we live in, that's hard because the comparison game happens a lot when we have someone post like, look at my two week old baby who slept mm-hmm. 11 hours last night. And we're like, oh, ours was up to every two hours all night long. What am I doing wrong? Because right. a lot of times we put that back on ourselves and it really is the case of babies sometimes sleep better than others, but yes. no matter where we are, There are things that we can be adjusting or guiding and continuing where they're at, whether that's, yeah, whether that's the baby who wakes up every two hours or the baby who's sleeping super solidly, we can support them and continue to guide them. I love that. And I think that's the message I want everybody listening to take home is you're not doing anything wrong and your baby's not broken if they don't, excuse me, if they don't sleep really great from an early age. So what are like, let's say top three things that people can implement as far as sleep habits that aren't strict, but like, how can we set them up for better sleep in that early age? So the biggest thing would be making sure that there's no day and night confusion, like we had touched on. um, But sometimes what that would be is that they sleep a ton during the day and then Mm -hmm. they're awake all night. And so we want to make sure we're reversing that. There's a couple of different steps that go into that. But one of the biggest ones would be making sure that we don't have really, really long nap sessions. Because a lot of times people say, never wake a sleeping baby. And nobody wants to wake a sleeping baby. I don't want to, you don't want to. But sometimes, unfortunately, we have to if we have a baby who's sleeping six hours straight, because in for a newborn baby in a 24 hour period of time, we're most likely going to see one long stretch Mm -hmm. that's more than three to four hours. And so if that one long stretch is happening in the daytime, it's definitely not happening at nighttime. So that's one of the things we would talk about is what is too much nap sleep and where do we need to wake them up to make sure that the solid longer stretch is happening at nighttime. I think that's something that my our parents and grandparents generation, they, I mean, I, my grandma would always say like, never wake up the sleeping baby. Like it's just, you hear it all the time as a new mom. So I think that's just sort of a newer concept concept for at least my generation, because it's the opposite of what everybody yeah. tells you to do. Um, yeah. but I truly think that helped Cora so much. Like I would cap her naps. Well, right now I cap them at an hour and a half. Um, cause she, I mean, she's a good sleeper. She would sleep longer, but I don't want her sleeping too much throughout the, the day because we know that's going to interrupt night sleep. So it's, it's almost like a balance of figuring out what works for your baby, but also following those very loose ranges. Cause are some babies going to kind of be under those ranges and some babies over them? Or what does that look like too? Cause I don't want people to get so stuck on like, all right, my baby's three months. This should be her wake window. This should be <laughs> how long I let her sleep for. Um, yeah. Is there like a range there? There's definitely a range, especially in the first three months, there's a range and we're going to have kids that fall on the lower end of that. And some that fall on the higher end, especially with total amount of sleep. If we're looking at total amount of sleep in a 24 hour period, there are some kids that are some babies that are going to be like 18 hours and others that are going to be 21. And that's a big difference. So there's definitely a range in that. But when we get to the four month mark, timing does become a lot more important 
because, and it's not timing on the clock, your baby's not reading the clock, but it's timing of kind of allowing their bodies to predict how long am I supposed to be awake before I'm going to get some more sleep right? Mm -hmm. Same with eating, you know, we're supposed to feed them every X amount of hours, depending on your pediatrician's recommendation. Well, sometimes that, you know, that goes hand in hand with sleep as well. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that we're, we're guiding that in that kind of way. I love that. All right. So first and foremost, day and night confusion, what would be another couple of things that we can give people? Yeah. So really important in the beginning that it is completely okay to have your baby sleep napping or mostly napping. Let's, let's talk about that first in varying environments. So it's okay if we're in the living room and we've got grandparents over and we're talking and we're laughing and we're doing whatever, if your baby will sleep, it's okay because we don't have that light level of sleep yet. Mm -hmm. We're going to be able to reach a deep level of sleep, even with that stuff going on around us. Now I know some parents that will like purposely run a vacuum. So they get used to the noise. I don't really feel like we need to do that, but just the natural, um, you know, flow of life. It's okay. If our babies are with us, if we go out to dinner and they're in the car seat and they are sleeping while they're in a noisy restaurant, all of that stuff is more okay. In the first couple of months, because that they can reach that deeper level of sleep. So, but vary the, the sleep environments and the sleep guidance, because sometimes what happens is we get used to putting our babies to sleep in one exact way when they're little. So for example, maybe it's like the nap happens. I rock them on this bouncy ball. We bounce until they're asleep. And then I hold them the whole time. And then they get up and I feed them and it becomes whether it's for us or for them, the exact same way every single time. So then as they get older, they're dependent kind of on this exact way of falling asleep. Mm -hmm. So unless your baby will only fall asleep one way, this is an age where trial and error is okay. And we can experiment a little bit. And sometimes we hold them and sometimes they're in their crib for the nap. And sometimes we're in the car on the go or on a morning walk as a family. Right. So it's okay to have that variation and that will help as we get a little bit older as well. The other thing about that is in the beginning, when they're first born, it's okay for there to be a lot of sun when they're sleeping. Even if you're on your morning walk and that, you know, they happen to fall asleep and sun's super bright, that's good Mm -hmm. and restorative and helpful to their body. When we reach the four month mark and they start to produce melatonin, melatonin is actually, I'm sorry, sunlight suppresses our natural production of melatonin for a lot of children and babies. So it is hard because sometimes if we're always sleeping on the go, or we're always sleeping in the living room where the sun is really bright, we're not reaching that optimal push of melatonin to help us reach that longer or deeper level of sleep. So around the four month mark, when possible, I like to get those naps in a darker environment. Yes. That's what we do. I mean, even Josh and I, we need it dark to sleep. I wear an eye mask. Um, but I mean, it's, it, it's funny because the same, a lot of the same techniques here apply to adults too. And we've talked about this time and time again on the podcast. Um, but I love the example of the morning walk too, because that's why we walk now with Cora being five months old. Kai is obviously four and a half. We get outside, get that sunlight in our eyes to wake everybody up. So that's one of the reasons why we do that. But I love that you touched on that. Good. Um, all right. So that was two, right? Or did we get, did we hit three there? Um, well, I stopped counting, but (laughs) (laughs) so so there's just a lot of Knowing that it's okay to prioritize sleep, I think is one of the biggest things because 
our pediatricians tell us, right. Or the doctor, when we leave the hospital, how often we need to be waking our babies to, to, to eat. Right. right. And how many ounces they need to be having during the day. And all the emphasis is going towards feeding, which of course is super, super important. But I am going to venture to say that how our babies are sleeping is equally as important because I have a lot of families that come to me whose babies are underweight. And even one recently whose baby was categorized as failure to thrive and they could not figure out how to get more food into their baby. And when we worked on sleep, which we still had to feed in the middle of the night, because yeah. obviously per doctor order, we were making sure we were getting those ounces overnight as well. But we taught the skill of falling asleep independently. We worked on some of the proactive things like timing and routine and guidance. And we got naps in a dark environment. There were a lot of things we worked on and we got sleep really, really great. And guess what happened? They start, this baby started eating so much better and taking full feeds instead wow. of little feeds here and there. And I just got a call recently. We are no longer in the failure to thrive oh, category. Man. We're taking way more ounces than we were before. And that happened because we prioritized sleep, which is something we're, we're afraid to do because we think eating is the most important, but they yeah. go hand in hand. Absolutely. I mean, even as adults, they go hand in hand. We see people who just aren't getting enough sleep, have so many issues with food and their diet and feeling your hunger levels are all messed up. Like it impacts so many things. So I love that example. I love that you touched on that. Um, and I just love that you're making sleep more approachable, you know, for babies. Cause I think there's still so much fear mongering out there when it comes like you should never sleep train and all these things that you see on social media. Um, but there are so many, like you said, different options and different ways that you can help your kids and your babies to sleep better. And therefore you will sleep better. And then everybody is just happier and healthier, right? Yes, I agree <laughs> completely. And what I want to touch on what you just said with that fear mongering, yes. because unfortunately we do get it from a lot of different sides. And a lot of times it's loving information, but yes. whether it's a new parent who posts on a social media platform and says like, like my baby's doing this and this and they won't sleep. What do I do? And they get 150 responses that are all completely different. And now they're more, more overwhelmed, right? Yeah. And those were loving responses, people trying to help, but it's just too much information, which the internet is. So if finding one way to get your information that you trust and that you can stick consistently with is the way to go on that. And then the other thing I was going to say is, conversations from other generations, like you touched yes. on. So whether it's grandparents or aunts and uncles or whoever it is, they lovingly are giving information as well, but it was so different when you and I were growing up and were babies than it is with our babies. But the only thing, a lot of people think that the only thing that's changed is that we're big on not letting our kids cry it out. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but there's so, and never wake a sleeping baby was, ne you know, they would never do it. And we do. Why is there that difference? Across the board, there's a difference if we look at recommendations for back versus belly, if we look at, you know, all these different recommendations yeah. from then till now. And so unfortunately, it's the whole package that has changed yes. and not just one specific thing. I love that. And, you know, if you guys are looking for your one person to get sleep help from, I want you to share with us, Sam, what do you offer people? I know, you know, you have your courses. Can you kind of just break down your offerings, how you can help if somebody's listening, listening to this and they're just, it's connecting and you feel in alignment with everything that we're talking about, where can they go to learn more or to get more help? 
Yeah. I'm always super thankful to be able to partner with families because I want everybody to get sleep. So I'm definitely here for them if they feel like it fits their family. So if a family falls in the category of pregnant or newborn, so in the first three months, I would highly recommend that they start with my infant sleep series. It's a couple of videos. You can watch it on your own time and it's individualized. So it's really going to guide you to figure out what works for your family, but how do I proactively guide my baby? So it's that foundation. And I definitely would say, start with that. And if you know, any pregnant mamas that this is what, you know, they should start with for sure. But when we get to that four month mark and up, like we've talked about a couple of times here, it is an individualized approach. So a lot of families go like, well, how am I going to do videos and, you know, make that individualized? You have to figure out what level of support works for you. So some families do choose to come to me work one-on-one -on -one, and I do offer that. And so we can come up with a plan that works for your little one. But the one thing I really want to stress is I have courses for four months and up, and the way that they're designed is to be individualized. So you're going to print out a piece of paper, and then you're going to watch that course through the eyes of your baby and where they are right now. And you're going to write what applies to you. And by the end of it, you will have your plan. And there's a lot of proactive guidance in there, but there's also the reactive. How are we going to respond? What method are we going to use? And there's five different options so that you can listen to them all and be like, okay, that's that's the one that feels best to me, whether it's super gentle or more firm or anywhere in the middle. So then that way they have the information that they need. So that's for kind of the, the next those night wakings is really for night wakings and for naps and for teaching them how to fall asleep on their own anywhere between four months and five years old. Love it. And then there's a couple of other ones, one for traveling. A lot of people go, what do I do if there's a time changer? How do I set up the sleep environment? And then lastly, there's a toddler one for the transition from the crib to a bigger bed. And if your toddler's not staying in their bed, that's a good one as well. Yeah. And I can vouch for those 100%. We, we have used all of them at this point. Kai is going to be five soon, which is crazy, but they are so detailed. They're so clear. It is just, it gives you everything you could possibly need. Um, but then I love that you offer the one-on-one -on -one too. And we've talked one-on-one -on -one before, especially when Kai was really struggling, which was so helpful to get that individualized help. So there are amazing resources there for you guys. I will make sure I will link all of those in the description of this podcast too. So people can kind of just click on it and get over to you if they need help. But, you know, I just want to say thank you because you are doing amazing work. You have changed so many lives and you are going to continue to change so many lives because sleep is just the baseline of everything. Um, so thank you so much for being here, Sam. I feel really blessed to have connected with you years ago and have to have continued what I would consider a friendship. Yes. So I, I appreciate that. And the biggest thank you I have for you is sharing this information because people need resources from people that they trust. And so yes. my courses could sit there, but without people like you to tell other mamas about it, um, they would just sit there. So thank you for connecting and helping moms with me. Well, I am so happy to share. I hope you guys really enjoyed listening to this. And if you did, make sure you share it on social media, tag us, um, go follow Sam. So where can they find you on 
Instagram? Are you still on TikTok? Give us, where are you? <laughs> yeah. So two best places would be Instagram and TikTok. Um, and so Instagram is Samantha day sleep consulting. Um, TikTok is actually under my podcast name, which is happy days, rested nights. And I guess that we should share that too. I have, um, yes. almost a hundred episodes mm -hmm. that are completely free that are all about sleep and behavior and parenting. So that's a good place to start gathering some of that information as well. Um, and then my website has a free sleep quiz. So if you're like, I don't know if this works for me, then you can go take the quiz and it'll tell you if it does. Perfect. Well, thank you again so much. And, uh, you know, I hope you guys listening can implement some techniques here and everybody gets some better sleep, but we will catch you guys in the next episode. And again, thanks Sam for being here.